Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, 2018. We're at the midpoint of the first month of a whole new year, and we have a whole new show for you this week. Yeah, a lot's been going on. I got hit with that 48-hour tummy flu last week, and, um, oh God, the person who certain people have put into the White House as a puppet, decided that a bunch of people from uh, a certain Caribbean island and a certain Central American country and the entire continent of Africa came from a shithole. Yeah. Oh, and then there was that false ballistic missile alarm in Hawaii this past Saturday. Yeah, it's been a fun week, kids. And, ugh. Well, sometimes, you know, I just want to do what this song says. Not in the sense of anarchy, but more like sometimes you just need to like do a reboot, a cleanse, and pull it all down and start again. As Depeche Mode sang in this song. Good play. 
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Depeche Mode with And Then from the Construction Time Again album in 1983. Yeah, sometimes that song just makes me wonder, like, how, how, how much worse can things get? It's like, it, it's like boggles my mind. Like, every day is just like a new assault to taste, decency, sense, and... Everything, everything. Um, I guess we could all chalk it up to human behavior. As in this song by Bjork from her debut album in 1993. And picked by this week's guest artist to open their episode. Yeah. 
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Again, that was Bjork with Human Behavior from her debut album in 1993. And, ah, oh, I listened to that, and I'm feeling a little bit better now. I don't know, I guess when, when things are depressing and you don't know what's going to happen, I guess the worst bands to listen to are Depeche Mode, The Smiths, and The Cure. You'd think I would have learned that lesson a long time ago, but uh, I love all three of those bands. They all have their place, and the place now is going to be, guess what, kids? Now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! This is Fish Out of Agua on the road today because I am sitting in the warm and cozy apartment of this week's guest artist. Um, she's a fantastic writer, storyteller, journalist, and editor who I've been trying to schedule for weeks, weeks now. And I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to introduce the amazing, the lovely, the talented, and she's smiling from <laughs> ear to ear, Amber Drea! Amber. Thank you so much. Yeah, I like giving like the um the long ass like um, <laughs> intro because I don't know like I feel like build 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 up, you know get 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 you like um on in my corner let's say. <laughs> and we also have my cat Marcus here. Yes, he's Kitty. right in the middle of it. Kitty interview. <laughs> oh my god, I love this. This is great. So usually um we open up with uh, how we met. Hey, so Amber, I don't remember. So mm-hmm. where and how did we meet? It was a storytelling mic, and I think you said it was the tea lounge. Did you say that's what it was it, called? It could have been. If it was where, um, if it was the one that Carrie Doherty used yeah, to run, yeah. then yes. Yeah. Okay, Carrie. And so, uh, Michelle, you'd been guest hosting it that night. You oh. guest hosted it that night. And you were there, and I think Ben Lilly was there, and Maggie... Nuttall was there. Oh my God, Mags! I love Maggie. Jake Hart was there. I think I met all of those people wow. on the same night. <laughs> like all these people have yeah. gone on to just like be mm-hmm. do wonderful things. You know, yeah. Ben with Story Collider, and he's got this new performance space called Habit. Yeah. And uh, Jake is like doing shows and and uh, festivals up the Wahoo with yeah. the Creek and. Yeah. And Maggie, she's like yeah. doing. Yeah. She was the face of Scranton, yeah. Pennsylvania, yeah. Scranton Fringe <laughs> Festival. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. So, um, how did you get into storytelling? Did you did you grow up wanting to be a performer? You have a performance background. Um, well, I was actually wanted to be a musician when I was younger. Where did you grow up? Um, Eastern Connecticut, rural, like sort of um, northeastern Connecticut. Wow. And wow. Um, like Mystic, like north of Mystic. Oh wow. Um, so That's inland what, more. Do you mean you like know. Rhode Island? <laughs> Practically, I mean, you know, when we would go to the big city, quote unquote, it was Providence, Rhode Island. That was the big city for us. <laughs> so, um, you know, I did a lot of music stuff when I was a kid. I did like seventh and eighth grade rock band and I played guitar, even though I wanted to be a singer, but um, they needed a guitar player and I could actually play guitar because my dad was a guitarist and he had bought me one and got me lessons and stuff. So wanted to go to school for music. 
to college for music to become a music teacher. And um, basically, I hated the music education program um, at the school. And For what reason? I just didn't like all the teaching parts of it. <laughs> like, I just wanted to learn about music and then teach it. I didn't want to have to learn how to teach things. I didn't think that that was necessary. <laughs> so, um, and so I, I switched to just being like a plain music major. But I was like, what am I going to do with that? Like, that's not going to do anything for me. And also, like, I wasn't doing very well in the music program. Like, basically, everybody told me that I was not a good singer. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to switch to the English program because that makes more sense to me. And it just, you know, I, and, and then I took a, a creative writing class and that's when it just clicked. It was wow. like, oh, writing. Cause I'd written before in high school, but I didn't, I didn't think that I could do that. Like so, music was my first love. So that's what I wanted to do. And then I realized, oh no, I can still express myself through writing. Like even better actually, because I could just say what I feel and think and remember and, you know, talk about real things in a very plain way. Whereas music, it was always very like, you know, poetic and it had to be veiled and it had to be, ah, you know. <laughs> so so you, you had like a thing. So in other words, the writing you thought was more of an expression of how you really felt about things. And mm -hmm. with music, you felt like you couldn't be yourself right. for whatever reason it was. Like yeah. it was just like hiding or masking. Yeah. So was your dad, uh, you, you mentioned that your dad was a guitarist. Did he make his living as a musician playing in bands? Well, he um, is more like a side gig. Oh. So he, he, was, he works as a pipe fitter at a um, sub, sub base mm -hmm. in Connecticut. And, um, you mean like a submarine base? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he builds submarines? Yeah, he built. He does the pipe fitting of wow. the submarines. Is he is he in so, the military? No, no. But they get they're contracted by the military. Wow. But you know, you now, ever, now he's like an inspector. He's like a super big wig guy. Did but. you ever get to go in a submarine? <laughs> no. <laughs> I always wanted to. It but wasn't like take your daughter to he, work day. Yeah, there was never. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want me to become a pipe fitter. He wanted me to be a guitar player. Like that was what he wanted me to do. And so, what kind of music did he play? He oh, plays, does he play? He plays rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. the rock and roll. Well, <laughs> like, like he would, would he do cover bands or does yeah. he have wow. all cover bands? Wow, mostly. you can you can yeah. make bank yeah. with cover bands. Yeah, he would do. I mean, he would like when he was really gigging. Like he was in a really popular Eastern Connecticut band for a while. And, hey, no um, shame in they, that. They were called Hard Knocks with two X's. Whoa! And were they a hair band? Well, they ha they played everything. They played everything from like 70s classic rock to 80s hair metal to 90s grunge to wow. early 2000s new metal. Like they just played anything that was popular and has like hard rock sounds. Wow, you know? that is so cool. Yeah. Did you? Is that, <laughs> is that how he met your mom? Well. It, <laughs> She actually wasn't really into uh, performing when they met because they met in high school. He'd been in band since he was like 16. Wow. And he, and she, I think he could tell that she wanted to do it. So he asked her to sing in his band. And that's sort of what started her whole thing. So then my mom ended up totally pursuing her own music career uh, after that. Wow. Wow, that's a friggin' amazing story. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, it, and it's so cool to hear a story about people that got together young and decided to take an artistic path together. And are your parents still together doing this 
No, they they divorced when I was two. Um, and I think like the main thing was the fact that my dad was happy just staying around Connecticut and playing in cover bands Mm. and my mom wanted to experience more of the world. So she just wanted to see other cities, see other places, you know, have other experiences and not just stay in Eastern Connecticut for the rest of her life. No, I, I, you know, I, I get it because I know people like I grew up in the Bronx Mm -hmm. and there were people that didn't want to go into Manhattan. They literally, and this, it was like a subway right away. So where did your um, mom um, end up taking you guys? Um, Other we, cities. She, she lived in Boston for a while, then she moved to California, and then I joined her in California. And then we moved to Florida, and then she stayed in Florida, and I moved back to Connecticut with my dad. Did she have a, did she have a singing career? Did she do um, like yeah, social I mean, work and stuff? Yeah, I mean, she's been, well, you know, not, it's more about, like, uh, more cover bands. But, oh, like, okay. you know, wedding bands and karaoke you know bands and like bands she also would do a lot of karaoke hosting and stuff like that so she just she wanted to just be a performer be in front of people be involved with music in whatever way and she was also in her church um she was like one of the main singers in her church for oh, a while wow. too so that, that's amazing i mean it's a lot of people sometimes have such a hard time mm-hmm. trying to find their place mm-hmm. you know like not everybody gets to be in Carnegie right. Hall right. not everybody gets to be in Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. but there are so many other places where you can make right. a living one of my neighbors that lives across the street from me he has been in Paul Simon's band for like almost 40 years that's awesome yeah like it's like you know not everybody gets gets to find a place right. where they can practice what they love mm-hmm. and continue and even better make a living at it yeah so wow well i mean my mom never really made a living at it but she, i think it's more about just having an outlet well it was know? a side hustle yeah and i think that i feel like i really respect that about my parents because i think when i was younger or yeah like in my 20s or whatever i thought that they were failures because they never made it or whatever right but i think that they made it in their own way yeah. What they wanted to do was play music, and they played music. Wherever they were, they would find a place to play music, you know? And I think that's what it really is. Being an artist is doing your art, no matter what it is. Yes. And no, no matter where it is. Right. And because there's no there there. Yeah. There's, no, there's no destination that you're going to get to and say, well, this is it. I'm going to set up yeah. a camp. Because exactly. no, then there'll, there'll be another big street to cross. You never I, know. You, you know, never know where the path's going to take when you. When I wanted to be a musician, I was like, basically, I quit. Because I was like, I'm never gonna be Bjork, so therefore, why bother? Stop. Like that is like, and which that was is like you the thought. dumbest, like way to think of things. But I think it also was just the fact that writing and just telling my own personal stories was more satisfying to me than mm-hmm. playing music. Like I would get up in front of people with my guitar or just a microphone, and I would be so nervous, and that I could barely even do it. Wow. But when I get in front of a mic to do storytelling, I have zero problems, you know? I've heard that before. <laughs> so. it's, it's, it, and it's, it's really ironic because for so many people, public speaking is like the greatest fear. They would rather stick their hand in a vat of spiders. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's so really, that's very telling how, like, how some people just gravitate more towards some art forms more. Than yeah. other, but what was your entree into storytelling? How did you discover? Um, like, actually, what? Siobhan Alachlan. Siobhan! She, oh my god, I got to bring this We got to call her. She's amazing. Yeah, she was doing a, a variety show. Yes, at that place she, on 4th Avenue that closed. Yeah, 
And um, I remember she, doing it. She just asked me to be in it. Like I had never even done storytelling, but I had. I listened to you know. I listened to Risk. I listened to The Moth. I had gone to The Moth a couple of times. I didn't get up yet, so. Um, but I just really wanted to try storytelling and she just said do it. She didn't even care. She was like, go for it. And I worked on that story. I went to a bunch of open mics and I like really worked it out and it was great. And I was like, this is it. This is how I'm going to express myself now. You know, that is so cool. <laughs> so, but how did you find out about it? Let's, um, we're going to be backtrack a little bit. So you're deciding that yeah. you want to be a writer. You, you're in college now. So what made you decide to, when did you move to New York City and what okay. made you decide to come here? So, um, I, well, first I, I went to the University of Miami for music and then English right. and creative writing. And then, um, I decided to go to grad school to continue my writing education, and so I went to Columbia College Chicago for um, to get an MFA in fiction writing. It's a really great school. A lot of like TV writers come out of that school. Um, they have an amazing like film program there. Um, so then I just I somehow veered into journalism. Like I guess it was like I started writing music reviews, and then I started writing for magazines and then I started writing other stuff for magazines and so I just like sort of uh, became a self-taught journalist and that actually became my career career but I could not get a full-time job in Chicago to save my life. Wow and this is so, how long ago? This was in 2008. Okay so like finally, 10 years ago. Yeah in 2008 we finally decided to move to New York. My husband who was my fiance at the time really wanted to move to New York and his job would let him just like still do his same job but just be located in New York. Wow. So one of us would definitely have a job and so I just need to find one and then I found a job working at a magazine and like that was it. I, I continued to do that but then I started getting the stand-up comedy bug. Oh my so god. Well, started, let's talk about yeah. that a little bit. <laughs> so I was really into stand-up comedy, listening to a lot of it um, and just I I felt very connected to especially all the stand-ups that did like storytelling type stand-up. Took a stand-up comedy class. <laughs> so it was cool to uh, be able to be, you know, just, you know, try it out. And then I got to do, you know, you get to do your um, your five-minute set at the end of the class on at comics is where you would do your final performance. Comics on 14th yeah. Street? Oh, I remember that place. Run by the... The, the Ochi's Lounge downstairs mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. run by the amazing Canary yeah. Crew, so we yeah. hope to get on pretty soon. Yeah, that, I forgot yeah. how good comics was. Yeah, it was great. And, um, Especially and actually, Ochi's the show that I... And then I, I did another show there, like a Monday Night Bringer show. and um, uh, The Bringers. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Jim Gaffigan performed on that show. Wow, I was that's like, cool. Oh, my God, this is... This is awesome. Well, that's but, good. You're having a good experience. But I just couldn't do the whole stand-up comedy thing, like going to all the open mics and just, I just didn't feel like it was a good fit for me. Like it just wasn't quite what I was looking for. But then when I found out there were storytelling open mics, I was like, okay, this I can do. What was just the first one that, that you found out about? Um, gosh, I can't even remember. Which one? I mean, the one that I met you at was probably one of the first. Yeah, ones that was Carrie. Uh, I don't remember yeah. the name of it. Sorry, you'll have, you'll have you'll have to phone in. We're gonna tag you in this episode. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I um, at this um, the space. Gosh, I can't even remember what this place is called. Um, it was in Prospect Heights um, or Crown Heights. It was like a 
gallery space, an arts performance gallery space on Franklin. Oh, I know that um, place. I can't think of the name Launch of it. Pad. The guy who was running that needed more programming, so he asked me if I had any ideas. And I said, how about a storytelling mic, you know? And so I just started it. So you, you became know? a producer. Yeah. <laughs> Figured that was a good way to have a space where I could meet other storytellers and then like also ask other like like people that I really liked in the storytelling scene to come perform at it. There were just like all these little storefronts that would have storytelling nights. Yeah. 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 Daisy Rosario ran one at, at Roots mm -hmm. and then Siobhan ran hers at, mm -hmm. I forgot what the name of that place. All mm -hmm. these places don't exist anymore, yeah. people. It's crazy. Yeah. And we're not talking that long ago. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, and I have always realized that, you know, in order to do the thing you want to do, sometimes you just have to do it yourself. Yeah. You know? um, Agreed. So, you know, I, I started a zine when I was in Chicago because nobody wanted to publish my work. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just publish my own work and then I'll publish other people's work that I like. And then maybe I'll become, I'll find the people who want my work. Yeah. You know, the through DIY that thing. kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, so that was sort of, you know, I've done it before with other arts. Um, kind of kind of like what I'm doing with this <laughs> radio exactly, show. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to yeah. do something and create something and it gives you an excuse to meet the people you want to meet yeah. and and just become part of the thing you want to become part of, you know? Yeah. Um and so yeah, so then ever since then, I just would get booked on shows, and I'd pitch to people and get booked on shows, and get asked to be on shows, and just go to different open mics, and I just find it to be a very fun, like, comfortable, friendly environment. No, I don't do this for the money. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I no, do no, it no, because no, it's a thing that I like to yeah. do, and I'm just, I feel very thankful that I even live in a place where I can do it. Right. You know? But you but you also make your living right. with your words exactly. and writing. You've published, mm -hmm. you've edited. Mm -hmm. Why don't we talk a little bit about, about that part of your life? Um, well, I just, uh, you know, um, I've published some fiction. I've published some nonfiction. I did write a very short little sort of humor piece for uh, McSweeney's. My crowning achievements. McSweeney's, um, that's awesome. <laughs> um, are I'm, you like afraid to pitch to them? Like, I, they, no. like the, those are one of the, that's one of the places where I'm like, they would not want to hear me. I think and I don't bother. Just like you have What's to. What's wrong with me? Like, you know, you have to just come up with something that they would like. And it's just, you know, they do these short little like clever kind of, you know, tongue in cheek yeah. kind of thing. You know? yeah. yeah. And so I just came up with this thing. Um, but I'm really lazy when it comes to writing, so I haven't gotten a lot published. So but listen, there are people that like have been mm -hmm. writing for years and never mm -hmm. and can do not have McSweeney's as a credit. <laughs> you know, so um, and you know, I, I wrote a, a short piece for Akashic Books. That it's like an indie publisher. They had they were doing publishing some stuff on their website. Um, there's a magazine called Hypertext Magazine that's based in Chicago. Published something on there. I know, I've done a few things. So you and Jeb came to New York and you got married. Mm -hmm. And um, soon after, you found that you were carrying a child. Well, soon after, as in like seven years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I uh, we decided to try to have a family um, a couple of years ago, and 
We had a beautiful boy named Stanley. Stanley, who has his own Instagram page. He has yeah. more followers than the both of us put together. <laughs> Stanley Stardust is his Instagram and Facebook page. And, um, well, the reason we started the, the these pages for him is because he ended up getting diagnosed with a pretty serious life-threatening disease called biliary atresia, and it's a, it affects the liver, and, um, you know, they can do a procedure to try to fix it, but it usually doesn't work. And so, you know, he ended up getting sicker and sicker and had to get a liver transplant. So we started the uh, Facebook page um, as as part of like a fundraising effort because you know it costs a lot of money to get a liver transplant um and you know the the insurance covered most of it but there's also like deductibles and co-pays and all that kind of stuff so and like you know paying for the car rides to the hospital and back and food while you're at the you know you know my son was in the hospital for seven weeks after the liver transplant so um you know, this fund that we got set up covers all that kind of stuff. So that's the main reason we did it, but also he's just really cute. So <laughs> And he wears glasses, so he, people love the glasses. And he spins around on the floor while he throws the ball back and forth. I love that. Yes, full disclosure, I played with this adorable child for about 10 minutes before we had this stuff, this interview. And it's at that point, you know, your life is going along and you, you know, you're, performing you're loving it you and your husband are getting along it, mm -hmm. your life is wonderful i'm having a baby and then you find out wait a second this is not what i signed on for how does this a sick child like change your life like that and your perspective do you find that there was a difference in your performing or your writing before and after well i think it really just sent me into a depression um i sort of was like very like poor me, why did this have to happen to me, I just wanted to have a baby and the baby be normal and I don't get to experience any of the normal things that people, you know, do when they have a baby. You know, I was just like very self-pitying. <laughs> but, that's, but that's natural though. <laughs> yeah, but like, and but the whole time I'm going through this, people are like, you're so strong, I can't believe you're doing this, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm barely holding it together, people. Like, it was rough, you know? <laughs> like, and and the fact that I actually did some storytelling while it was all going on about what was happening, to, you know, I usually everything I talk about is from my childhood or college or whatever. You know, I don't really talk about anything that's happened to me in, like, the last 10 years because, um, you know, I've been a married woman so I don't have any dating experiences to talk about. I don't have any, like, crazy wild night, you know, <laughs> whatever. So it's like, so, um, yeah. So, But then this time I was just like, I'm going to talk about it now. I'm just going to, like, talk about it as it's happening. And it was actually really good for me. It helped me, you know, to do that. It felt good to just, you know, obviously I was putting, like, a, humorous spin on it to sort of like because you gotta laugh you know you have to you have to <laughs> the you, only you, thing that helps me get through anything is to laugh about you're it. you're kind of like past that critical mm -hmm. point now yeah and when you when you look back on it like how how do you how do you reconcile like what you you went through with you were saying that you went through the depression and stuff and now you're at a place where things are more on an even mm -hmm. keel mm -hmm. so how do you how do you, how do you, how do you process that? Did the storytelling help you with that, or do you think that mm -hmm. it would have 
happened anyway. Well, it's really weird to try to tell a story when you don't know what the ending is. And so it was like the ending would keep changing and shifting and stuff. And and then it would help me... Um, sorry, I got a ton. <laughs> uh, it would help me like... Um, Every time I would tell this story, I would get more and more perspective on it and, like, understand it a little bit more. And then it would make me feel like, um, I don't know, it just, it just helped me to talk about it. It just really made me feel like I wasn't alone in the experience, you know. And even though I had kept a journal and wrote about some of the stuff, it just, it felt really good to say it in front of people. Um, and it's just, uh, it's a crazy story. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's an ongoing, it's a story that's going to be going on for about 75 to 80 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's going to, you know, now it's not as exciting, quote unquote, as it used to be. Now it's just sort of like the the day-to-day just, you know, work that you have to do when you have a child who's a little bit, um, just needs extra special everything, you know? Yeah. And so he, you know, even though he's, it's been a year since, over a year since his transplant, he still has a lot of developmental delays. He has a lot of therapists who come to work with him and we're just trying to get him up to speed where, you know, the goal is to get him close to normal by the time he goes to kindergarten. So he seems to, he's on, he's on the road to that. He's just, he's just such, such, such a treasure. Well, a little birdie said that you had a story (laughs) to tell us. Here we are on Fish Out of Agua. Amber Drea with the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was 11, my mother went into rehab and um, I went to live with my father in Connecticut. And um, it was a little odd for me because I'd never lived with my father and I felt like a little... Uh, you know, I didn't know really know how to talk to him, and I'm like entering puberty, and you know, I can't really ask him about the things that I would have been able to ask my mother about, and um, and then uh, we moved in with his girlfriend, and then his girlfriend ended up being like a mother figure to me, obviously, but she was like a little, um, she was actually very close to my age, um, she was. 22 and I was 12 and so you know we moved to this really small town in northeastern Connecticut where I was one of the only people of color probably there were probably like five or six in the whole school (laughs) and you know I just automatically was not you know thought of as being pretty you know nobody really wanted to date me or anything and I was just sort of like a nerd and just kept to myself and um you know but I I made my little niche of friends like I I've loved to sing so of course I was in chorus and I was a singer and then I joined the the rock band because I was forced into it (laughs) I really wanted to be a singer but the the teacher um the teacher was like, I heard you play guitar, therefore you're a guitar player. Because everybody wants to be a singer. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll be a singer. I mean, a guitar player. And then, um, but I always felt like a little out of place, you know? Like, I just never felt like I comfortable in my own skin. And just, um, I always was trying to fit in. Like, I got a perm 
so that my hair would be like the other girl's hair and I'm Asian FYI so <laughs> it's a really weird thing to be Asian with curly hair um, and then I would try to like tease my hair up the way they did it because it was the early 90s but it was still the 80s practically you know we're a little bit behind there um, and uh, and so but I, I just wanted people to think that I was just a normal, nice girl and nothing was weird about me except for the fact that I didn't know where my mother was <laughs> because she went to rehab and then I never heard from her again. So I didn't know if she was alive or dead. I didn't know. And like she'd gone through a lot of things when I was living with her. She had abusive boyfriends, abusive husbands, like all kinds of stuff happened when I lived with her. And then, so it was almost a relief to get away from her, but, um, but then I just felt so uncomfortable where I was, you know, with my dad and his girlfriend, cause you know, my dad didn't really want to deal with my stuff. And the girlfriend was like, just saw me as sort of an annoyance. And she was like, I don't really want to be a mom to a 12 year old right now. You know, I'm 22, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and she was also a corrections officer at a men's prison, so she was very aggressive, let's say. <laughs> and Barry just had like, um, she was very strict. And I mean, I felt, I had a little bit of a Cinderella complex. I mean, of course, you know, I, I blew it out a little bit out of proportion, but you know, she would make me do all the chores every Saturday. And I wouldn't, I wasn't allowed to do anything else until I got those chores done, no matter what. And, um, and you know, I just felt like, and I had to do the dishes every day after dinner and, you know, I just felt like I was her slave or something. And, um, so I wasn't quite happy in this arrangement. Um, but I guess it was better than living with my mom who was a drug addict and had a bunch of terrible boyfriends. Um, and so... Then uh, the summer before, the summer between eighth grade and freshman year of high school, um, my dad sat me down and said, your mother has written you a letter. She sent it to your grandmother's house and he hands me the envelope and it's already open. And he said, I had to read it to make sure that it wasn't, you know, she didn't say anything weird in there or something. And I looked at the postmark and the postmark was two months prior to when he actually gave me the letter. So he'd actually been sitting on the letter for like two months. <laughs> and so I read the letter and it's basically my mom saying that, you know, she had a really rough time, you know, she, left rehab but she continued to use drugs and she was homeless and then she um, found God and became a Christian and then got married and has a, has a little boy <laughs> and now she lives in Miami and I'm like okay cool <laughs> and she's like Jesus is my Lord and Savior and he really helped me you know kick my drug addiction and um and, you know, now I'm doing really well and I would really love to talk to you. And of course, immediately I wanted to call her. 
Um, but my dad was like, why don't you write her a letter first and then we'll see how it goes. So I wrote her a letter and I put some pictures in um, and I sent it off to the address in Homestead, Florida. Well, guess what happened shortly after that? Hurricane Andrew. <laughs> so I, the letter just went into the ether, like disappeared. And like, you know, I'm watching on the news. We actually got it really bad in Connecticut too. We didn't have power for four days. We were taking baths in the pond, like that kind of thing. And then, you know, finally when the power comes back on, I'm like looking at the news and it's saying Homestead, Florida is devastated. And I'm just like, wow, my mom just wrote me a letter. She just got back in touch with me and now she's probably dead, you know? Like, <laughs> and so I was just, it, so then for two months, I had no idea where she was. I had no idea if she was alive or dead. I didn't know if she got my letter. I didn't know how to reach her, anything. And so um, finally, two months later, I got a letter back. So she, somehow the letter made it its way to her and she got it and then she sent me a letter back and then, you know, I, I called her as soon as I got that letter because my dad was like, okay, yeah, it looks like she's legit. <laughs> I'll let you get on the phone with her. And, and then we just start, you know, it was almost like we start our relationship where we left off, but like a little bit different. I still had to get to know her again, you know, I still had to sort of, it was weird. It was weird to like not have talked to your mother since you were 11 and now you're 14 and you have to like build a relationship with her. But I wanted to, I loved her um, and she apologized and I knew, I believed her. I believed that she really meant it. And, um, you know, ever since then, we've been rebuilding our, our relationship and we're closer than ever now. And I, I think probably closer than we could have been if none of that stuff had happened, I think. So that's my story. I'm just <laughs> floored with the beauty of, of them because the, the power of love and reconciliation and acceptance just shines right through there. Mm. And some part of me thinks that I hate when people say there's a reason for shit mm -hmm. because there's no fucking reason. Yeah, I don't. Life is life is random. Yeah. Life yeah, is yeah. random. <laughs> Bad shit happens to yeah. people all the fucking time. But you having to go through that emotional roller coaster mm -hmm. had to have some way prepared you for what was going to come later. That's what I was going to exactly say. Is that you know I don't say oh, I dealt with all this terrible stuff when I was a child so that I could deal with my son with, having a liver Yeah, with, with the terrible like, stuff that's, that's happening with your, with your grown-up. Right. That's not no. really, but it, no. it did prepare me. I mean, I've been through things, and I realized that you can come out the other side yes, adversity. stronger. Yeah. And, you know, it, it makes you realize, you know, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes you can't see it. But right. eventually, yeah. it'll be there. You and know? there's there's so many things that come across our paths that can just waylay us, that distract us, that derail us, that sometimes prevent us from continuing on the path. One thing we didn't mention is how being a woman of color in a small mm -hmm. town can can 
distract you or hinder you mm -hmm. from what your goal is. You mentioned being Asian and hair mm -hmm. before, like you didn't want the curly hair. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's never enough when you're a woman of color mm -hmm. because as for me as a Latina, you know, straight hair was considered good hair mm -hmm. and curly hair, whatever its increments were, was like bad hair. Um, and you're Filipino, right? I'm Filipino um, and white. <laughs> and then um, my sister had a little girl um, and the father is black, and um, when she was born, she was seven weeks early, and my, my sister was also on methadone the entire time, so the baby was addicted to methadone, Aww. and so when the baby was born, she was premature and had to go through methadone withdrawals, and she was about four pounds, and the first thing her grandmother said was, oh, look, she's pink. Ideal. <laughs> Ideal. Oh, good. Yeah. She's pink. Ideal. Ah, I did do this. <laughs> the next generation, don't do this. Don't do this. Lie. They're alive. You kiss them. You hug them. If you have anything with, with the rest of that stuff, keep it in. Let's yeah. let 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 let's let let's make this be the last time we have to hear about people having to pass. Yeah. Uh, that's that's just crazy. Yeah. And and when you're Filipino, you get it from both ends because mm -hmm. you're Latin and you're Asian. <laughs> right? So yeah. like I I can I can only imagine how mm -hmm. it's like you are not enough of this thing and, and and too much of another thing. Well, it's it's strange for me because my mother was adopted and my father they're both part Filipino, mm. um, and my father is third generation, and so and he was actually raised with um, by the white side of the family. So my mother and dad were both Filipino people raised by white people, and then I so they're basically like white people culturally, and then so I was raised as a white person culturally, you know, but I was brown. And like my whole life, people just wanted to know what I was, where yep. I was from. Yep. Yep. You know, you look like Connie Chung, like all kinds of weird stuff. Well, you know? at least Connie Chung is cute, but not. <laughs> Be like, you know. And she's a journalist. Chinese, Japanese, Chinese. Oh look at these, you know. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. So that was very confusing because it's like inside, I didn't feel like a Filipino because I didn't know anything about it, you know. <laughs> and so when when did you, did you learn? Um, like in I think in freshman year of high school, I started like doing more research and reading more about it, and then I started, you know, getting closer to my Filipino side and stuff like that. So yeah, it, I mean it, it's important. It's important that we embrace all mm -hmm. of what we are. Yeah, you know, even if even if we have two cultures inside of us that seem to be at odds with each other. But mm -hmm. as you prove from your that. Wonderful story, Amber. <laughs> I hate that. This sounds like so friggin' like, like, like Hallmark Channel. But it's like Love Conquered it, man. It does, it does. Amber yeah. Drea, Love Conquered all. Yeah. Oh, that's so mm -hmm. awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank I you do so much this for is, having me. Um, are you kidding? Cup and for coming tea? to my house. Oh no, she lives in a good spot. So we're I not gonna say where it is, but it's, <laughs> it's it's across the street from a lovely park. Mm -hmm. And I had a nice cup of chai tea and a kitty that sat on by my uh -huh. feet for most of this interview. I could not be happier. Yeah. But in closing, I have one question that I ask people, mm -hmm. everyone that's been on the show. Um, if you could say one thing to a child that has a lot of adversity facing it that 
has that burning desire to be an artist, to be a creator, mm -hmm. but is not living in an environment where that type of thought is allowed, mm -hmm. what would you tell that child? Um, just keep work making your art, even if you have to do it in secret, in, until you can get out and get to a place where you can do it in public. <laughs> just keep making your art, keep expressing yourself, and you know, if you have to keep it to yourself for a while, um, just focus on getting out so that you can actually do it and meet other people who, you know, believe in you and, and are similar to you. Truth. From a <laughs> woman artist who has spent her life having multiple paths to expression. Hug on the air! Yeah. Oh, we always end with the hug on the air.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was No Rain, otherwise known as the Bee Song, by Blind Melon from their self-titled album in 1992. Yeah, I know, instead of having bees, I had a blizzard before the song because we're supposed to be having more snow here in New York City tomorrow because it's winter, but whatever, blizzards, bees, yeah. Well, kids, um... If you want to know more about Amber and Stanley Stardust, like them on Facebook. Follow them on Twitter. Amber's telling stories all over the place, and Stanley Stardust just turned two years old last week, so... Yeah. <laughs> oh, kids, that's our show. This has been Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. If you like what you've heard today or any other day or any other... If you like any of the other fine shows on Radio Free Brooklyn, consider sponsoring us. It's so easy. All you have to do is go to um, Fish, out, uh, Fish Out of Agua. You go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and cl click on the donate button and do what it says. This song coming up is the last of Amber's picks. It's by Mary J. Blige from her Watch the 411 album in 1992. The song is called Real Love. And hey, kids, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Woohoo!